Hear the word of God from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 13. This reading comes from the Common English Bible. You can find this reading on page 931 in the Pew Bible. Brothers and sisters, I want you to be sure of the fact that our ancestors were all under the cloud and they all went through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. They drank from a spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. However, God was unhappy with most of them and they were struck down in the wilderness. These things were examples for us so we won't crave evil things like they did. Don't worship false gods like some of them did, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to play. Let's not practice sexual immortality like some of them did. And 23,000 died in one day. Let us not test Christ like some of them did and were killed by the snakes. Let's not grumble like some of them did and were killed by the destroyer. These things happened to them as an example and were written as a warning for us to whom the end of time has come. So those who think they are standing to need to watch out or else they may fall. No temptation has seized you that isn't common for people. But God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. The word of God for the world. Thanks be to God. I graduated from college with a minor in chemistry. I don't know how. I was really bad at chemistry. <laughs> Regardless of how everybody else did, I really struggled, especially in those chemistry labs. That's how I would often spend many afternoons, especially long Friday afternoons, doing one chemistry experiment after the other. The results never quite turned out the way they should have. Nevertheless, I needed to explain those results in order to figure out how to get an A in the class. In fact, there's a story I was thinking of this morning on the way to worship. Uh, it's not in my manuscript, and I, I probably shouldn't tell the story, but uh, <laughs> since when have I ever had a filter? So here we go. Um, one Friday afternoon, I was doing a particular chemistry lab assignment, and the results were just awful. They were nothing like the results we were supposed to get, but I still needed to fill out my lab notebook, I still needed to summarize what I did, and I still needed to justify my results. So I did my best, I wrote up the report, I gave it to my lab partner, who lived just down the hall, to have him look it over to see if it made any sense at all. Ten minutes later, I hear this laughter from his room, I said, John, come on, the results weren't that bad, my justification wasn't that awful, and he just couldn't stop laughing. He said, McGray, I think what you were trying to do was explain why your results were erratic. I said, yeah. 
He said, well, here in this paragraph, you say, the following are reasons why my results were erotic. <laughs> I was really bad at chemistry. <laughs> but by far, the worst thing that I did, the thing I struggled with the most, were those experiments that involved titrations. Now, if you ever took chemistry in high school or certainly in college, you know what a titration experiment is. It had a setup that kind of looked like this. You have at the bottom a flask, an empty, well, a, a beaker that was full of a, a solution, a chemical. Let's call the chemical, uh, chemical B in the flask at the bottom. And then at the top, you had a long, a long tube or, or a burette, and that was filled with chemical A. And at the end of that burette was a little knob, a little nozzle that you controlled how much of chemical A went into chemical B. And this was the experiment. You had to find out the exact amount, the precise point at which dropping chemical A into chemical B created or started that chemical reaction. And the way that would happen is chemical B would start to change color. That was the experiment drop just enough of A into B to figure out where the reaction starts. Sounds simple enough in concept, but if you didn't put in enough of chemical A, there would be no reaction at all. But if you put in too much of chemical A, even one drop more than you should have, then chemical B changes color, goes dark way too quickly, and you have to start the whole experiment over dump out all the chemicals, you have to wash all of the equipment and put in new chemicals and start over. And I was horrible at it. That's how I spent most of my Friday afternoons in my introduction to chemistry class in college. I would set up the equipment just the way it should and I would begin titrating. Drip, 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 drip. Drip, this is how I spent my Friday afternoons in college. Drip, <laughs> drip, 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 drip. All of my friends had already started their weekends early. Drip, <laughs> drip, 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 drip. This is what I'm doing for the rest of the sermon. Drip, <laughs> drip, 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 drip. The sermon's 90 minutes long today. Trip, <laughs> drip, drip. I thought about this image this, this week as we were thinking through together this latest sermon on the series called That's Not in the Bible. Thinking in particular this morning about a very popular Christian saying called, God won't give you more than you can handle. I thought about this chemistry titration experiment because in a way, it's the idea basically that God, God has 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 this whole big burette full of suffering up there in heaven. And you and I are basically this empty beaker. And we have a limited capacity for suffering. We have this, this breaking point, this titration point, this limit to which we can handle suffering in our lives. And God is up there like some mad scientist with this big giant tube of suffering going drip, 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 I think he can handle a little more. Drip, drip, drip. Now, I want to acknowledge 
that there may be many people, in fact, there may be some people here this morning or watching online who really have claimed that saying for themselves. It could be that there are people who are suffering right now and you will turn to anything for comfort. And it could be that a saying like this is giving you the comfort that you need. And I want to say to you, that's great. We do not want to disparage anybody for claiming a saying like this. And it's a theme that we hope we carry through throughout this entire series. That's fine. But we do want to offer two cautions today when it comes to this phrase. The first is, a saying like this is not in the Bible. Now, just because it's not in the Bible, it doesn't necessarily make it untrue, but we have to be careful not to believe it as biblical truth. But here's the second caution. In fact, this one is more important. If we take this image too far, if we take this saying to an extreme, then what does that say about who we believe God is? One of my favorite comedians is a woman named Tig Notaro. I've listened to all of her albums. In fact, when she was here at the Straz two years ago, I saw her live. She is hilarious. I think one of the funniest comedians that I've ever heard. But she has a remarkable, powerful, personal story about suffering. A few years ago, all within the span of a few months, Tig Notaro was diagnosed with breast cancer. At the same time, she was diagnosed, unrelated to her cancer, with a life-threatening infection in her abdomen. At the same time, her fiancé broke up with her, and at the same time, her mother died of a sudden illness. All of this within the span of just a few months. And in the midst of all of that misery, someone said to Tig Notaro, Oh, Tig, God won't give you any more than you can handle. And you can imagine what a comedian like her did with a line like that. In one of her acts... She playfully imagines this idea of God up in the heavens and her Tignataro down here on earth, and God is up there surrounded by angels who are aghast at what God is doing to Tig. And she creates this funny little narrative. I, she said, I just keep picturing God going, you know what, angels? I think she can handle just a little bit more. Let's give her an infection. And the angel's up there going, God, what are you doing? You're out of your mind. And God says, no, 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 let's have her fiancé break up with her too. And the angels are like, God, why, why? Oh, no, well, let's have her mother die of a sudden illness too. It's a hilarious bit, but it's tragic. If you take this theme out to its extreme, it does suggest this possibility that God is the source of our suffering. And drip, 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 God will give us just enough until we hit our titration point. Now, the best we can tell, this very popular Christian saying has as its source an interpretation of 1 Corinthians 10, 1-13, the very same text that Gray just read for us moments ago, particularly verse 13. Let me read it for you again. No temptation has seized you that isn't common for people, but God is faithful. He won't allow you to be tempted beyond your abilities. Instead, with the temptation, God will also supply a way out so that you will be able to endure it. Now, everything that's in that verse is true. 
Everything in that passage has a biblical promise that is guaranteed, but it is not about suffering. It is about temptation. And what Paul is saying to the Corinthian church is, you will never go through a temptation that you cannot handle. You will never have such a temptation that you will be out of resources that will enable, that will enable you to overcome it. Even if that temptation is so strong that it feels like a disease that is working on your body, or even for those diseases that are small but just annoying that never go away, you will always have the resources, the capacity, the outside people, the professionals, the family, the friends, the inner strength, the willpower, the free will to overcome that temptation. But this passage is not about suffering. It is not about cancer. It is not about life-threatening infections. It is not about pain and heartbreak. It is not about grief. It is not about an uncertain future. It is not about sorrow. It is not about suffering. So, God is not up there in heaven with a giant titration burette. God is not up there like an angry judge with a paddle ready to sentence you. God is not like a giant Pez dispenser ready to dole out suffering. That is not what 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is saying. So, what does Paul say to the Corinthian church instead? I do want to say to you, there is good news here. Because Paul does have some things to say to those Corinthian people about suffering. And I want to suggest to you that there are some alternatives. Some alternatives to that saying, God won't give you more than you can handle. And these two alternatives are found in the Bible. And they are found in Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. Here's the first one. When you experience more than you can handle, you are never alone. When you experience more than you can handle. Not if, because here's the deal. You know this as well as I do. You and I sometimes do go through suffering that is more than we can handle by ourselves. Experience tells you that. Experience tells me that. But here's the first biblical truth. When you experience more suffering than you can handle, you are never alone. The Bible says time and time again that when we feel like we are in over our heads, God provides us other people to walk alongside us, to give us the strength and the nourishment to keep going. This is what he says. This is what he does say to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 26 and 27. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. In other words, you're not alone. When you suffer, you are not alone. God has given you other people to come by your side. Now you may not see those people at first. You may not think to look for those people, but God has provided them. They are there. That is in the Bible. The great spiritual writer Henry Nouwen once received some profound spiritual insight in, of all places, the circus. Nouwen once went to go see the German trapeze artist uh, group called the Rodley family. 
He, he was mesmerized by their performance, these amazing feats in which they flew through the air and made it look very easy. At the end of the show, Henry Nowen was given a private audience with the leader of the family, Mr. Rodley himself. Nowen was gushing with his amazement of what they were able to do, and he asked Mr. Rodley how it was that they were able to perform these amazing acts with such grace and such ease. And Mr. Rodley responded, quote, the public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. The secret is that the flyer does nothing and the catcher does everything. When I fly to Joe, I have simply to stretch out my arms and wait for him to catch me. He said, the worst thing I can do is to try to catch the catcher. I'm not supposed to catch Joe. It's Joe's job to catch me. And Nowen concluded that when you and I are feeling overwhelmed, our temptation is to start panicking and struggling and grasping and stretching and reaching when, when in reality, someone is always there. We may not see that person now, but sometimes we have to just look. And God has provided just that person to catch us. And you have that person. Whether you see that person or not, you are never alone. Could be a loved one. Could be a friend. Could be a counselor. Could be one of us pastors. Could be a medical professional. Could be someone who has been there before and wants to show you the way out. But you have a Joe. God has given you a catcher. And even though it might feel like you are not alone, all of us have at least one Joe, which leads us to the second important point from Paul to the Corinthian church. When you experience more than you can handle, God will give you enough to get through it. God will give you enough to get through it. You know why it's possible for you to suffer more than you can handle? Because it happened to Paul. Paul shares in 2 Corinthians that he was suffering in a way that was more than he can handle. In fact, he calls it his thorn in his side. Now, we, we don't know what exactly that suffering was. We don't know what constituted the thorn in his side. But it was clear to him that he was suffering and he could not get out of it himself. In fact, this is what he said in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 to 10. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses and insults and hardships, and persecutions, and calamities, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is telling the Corinthian church, and Paul is telling all of us that no matter what we go through, God's grace is enough. God's strength is sufficient enough to get us through it. God will always be there to give us just enough you see, God is not up there with a titration burette dispensing suffering drip by drip, but God is up there with a titration burette dispensing strength 
dispensing wisdom and guidance and grace, drip by drip, giving us just enough, not too much, not too little, but just enough to make it through the day so that even if you feel overwhelmed by your circumstances, God will give you just enough manna in the wilderness, just enough daily bread, just enough illumination to take the next step in front of you. You may be worried about step two, three, and four. You may wonder where this is all going, but God will give you just enough light to take that step, and then when you've taken it, you will drip, 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 get enough light to take the step after that. That is the way God works. No matter what you are going through, you have two gifts, two guarantees. The first is companionship, and the second is God's strength. You may not see it, you may not feel it, and sometimes it's only in retrospect that you will realize it. But God will always give you enough. And that, by the way, that is in the Bible. That is a promise, and that is something we can always count on. Let's pray together. God, life can be very hard sometimes. In fact, some of us feel like we are approaching our titration point right now. And as comforting as it may be to feel like you are in control of everything, we have a hard time believing that you are the source of our suffering. So remind us that you are instead the source of infinite strength and possibility. Give us what we need, drip by drip. Give us our daily bread so that we can face the future without fear. And most importantly, help us to be there for others that the people we know may not feel like they are alone. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, and let all God's people say, amen. And so in response to this good news given to us in Jesus, we invite you to offer the fullness of yourselves, your prayer concerns, your joys, the commitment of your hearts, your tithes and your offerings, and your special offerings this morning to the United Methodist Children's Home here in Florida. At this time, we invite the ushers to come forward.